Good morning and welcome to the Bronx Region online worship service of the New York City Church of Christ. I'm glad you're able to join us today and we're going to have a lesson from God's Word and following that lesson we're going to have our bread and the cup, a communion time together. So when I'm done with the lesson I'm going to say a prayer for us, we'll take our communion together, we'll have some closing announcements and then we'll have a closing song as well. But I want to talk to us today about something that's very important. The title of the lesson is not perfection, but progress. And I know I've talked about this a couple of times, but this is important for us to understand. Many of us had an upbringing in which we were challenged, inspired, or expected to be perfect in our life in different areas. Now, we all know no one is perfect except Jesus Christ. But yet many times we think we are under this illusion that we have to be perfect. But what we've got to understand is God is not looking for perfection. He's looking for us to progress, to grow more like his son who was perfect. Again, not that we are going to be perfect, but that Jesus was perfect and he is our standard. Now, in saying that, we've got to understand God only has imperfect people to work with. You and me. We're imperfect. But yet, even though we're imperfect, God's perfect will still can be accomplished. And this is what I want to talk about today, how God uses imperfect people, you and me, to accomplish his perfect will. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul. A man, again, was not perfect by any means. He used to kill Christians before he became a Christian. Not perfect at all. But once he became a true Christian, a true follower of Jesus, he in turn became a spiritually minded man. He was so focused that he even went on missionary journeys to make sure that the word was spread to people. Look at what Paul says in Acts chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 36. Acts 15:36. It says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. See, here's the thing about Paul. He wasn't just devoted to evangelism. Yes, he wanted to spread the news. Yes, he wanted to go and convert people. But his heart wasn't just to convert people. It was to train them, to strengthen them, to make sure they were doing okay. He said, let's go back to all the people that we helped convert. Why? To make sure they're doing good. To make sure they're okay. Is not let's just get people in God's church and just keep moving on like a machine. No, let's make sure people are taken care of. Because Paul knew the best way to spread the gospel was to reproduce, reproducing disciples. In other words, you help somebody become a disciple, make sure they know what they're doing. And then as they're on their journey, helping other people follow up with them, make sure is everything okay. How's it going? This is what Paul's heart was. His heart was to convert people, but then at the same time to make sure they were still doing what God called them to do as disciples. Just like what Jesus says in Matthew 28, and continue to teach them to obey. This is what Paul did. He said, let's go back and let's find out what's going on. So here they are. Paul appeared to be going on his second missionary journey three years later after the first one. Three years later, he's going to go back and see how everyone's doing. Now, 
as he's going to go back on this second missionary journey, if you notice, there's not some great spiritual call that he's gotten. There's not some church send off of a mission team. No, this is what he did. Look again in verse 36. Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. The word visit is different than how we use the word visit today. The word visit that they use here in the Bible is expressed with the meaning of to observe, to look upon, to look upon with mercy. So this is what Paul is saying. Let's go back. Let's take a look at all the people we converted. See how they're doing. Let's look upon them. Let's look upon them with mercy. If they need help, let's help them. Let's do whatever we need to do to make sure not just that they're Christians, but that they're living the way God calls for them to live. See, Paul wanted to go back and get up close and personal with the Christians that he had converted. And this is what is important for us to see today. It's not just about converting people. It's about making sure that they take responsibility for themselves, but that we inspire, encourage them to continue to live and obey out Jesus words. So what I want to talk to us about today is three different ways God uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. This is important. Why? Because we are imperfect. We're going to sin. We're going to even say stuff that's just stupid sometimes. We may think we're joking and it's funny and it could be very hurtful. We're going to say things we think is inspiring and it's not motivating at all. We are imperfect people. But that doesn't mean we need to get down on ourselves or down on somebody else. No, God can still use us to do incredible things for him. So the first point I want to make today is this. God leads through conflict of imperfect people. God leads through conflict of imperfect people. That means there's going to be times when a brother and a sister in Christ will not agree. There's going to be times when somebody who maybe not in the church won't agree with what you're saying. There's going to be situations, conflict, issues, disagreements that will occur in the body of Christ. That cannot separate us from being what we need to be. Just because we don't always agree on something together does not mean we cannot be unified. This is important. We are all imperfect, but we have got to learn it's more important for God's will to be done than for us to be right. Now, Paul's plan. Let's go back. Let's check up on uh, the Christians we converted. This sounds like a great plan until Barnabas speaks up and says what he wants to say. Look in Acts 15, verse 37 and 38. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Barnabas and Mark, they were cousins. So it was natural for Barnabas to want to take his cousin Mark with him on this journey. Look at what it says in Colossians 4.10. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. So Barnabas is like, okay, this is a good plan, Paul. Let's go back. Let's see how they're doing. Let's strengthen them. I want to take my cousin Mark with us. Paul's like, whoa, wait a minute. This is the same guy that left us. He's not coming with us. 
That's not going to work. So they have some issues right there. Now, the word wanted to take actually means he keeps insisting. That's what it means in the Greek. It, he keeps insisting. Wanted to take means he keeps insisting. In other words, Barnabas didn't just say it one time and just let it go. He kept going at it. No, we need to take Mark. I want to take Mark. Let's take. I mean, it, it was something he was solid on what he wanted. Paul was solid on what he wanted. So these two spiritual men had conflict with each other over this missionary journey. Look in Acts 15 again. Let's start in verse 38. Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the brothers to the grace of our Lord we might say that Mark just quit on the journey. We don't know exactly why. We don't know how it all happened. But he was on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, and he just stopped. Look in Acts 13, verse 13. From Patros, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, Paul and his companions, they set sail for Paphos and came to Pergia and Pamphylia. That's a lot of peas right there. And John left them and he returned to Jerusalem. Why did he leave? We don't know. Again, we're not told. Maybe it was harder than he thought it would be. Maybe he thought this missionary journey is going to be such a great thing, but yet it was tougher than he thought. Maybe the landscape, where they had to live, how they had to eat. Who knows why he left? The end result was he left them and went back to Jerusalem. Now, that being said, when that happened in Paul's mind, this man was disqualified. He is not coming with us anywhere else again. Because when we needed him on a battlefield, he left. He left me hanging. He's done. Paul had crossed him off. Hardcore. Now, I don't know if Paul felt justified by this. Because if you think about what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9 verse 62... Anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for service in the kingdom of God. Maybe that's what Paul was thinking. You were with us. You look back. You left. You're done. I'm done with you. I don't know. Who knows? But because Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement between these two spiritual men, they parted ways. Again, look in Acts 15 verse 39. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Their disagreement was deep and extremely intense. Because of this sharp disagreement, these two spiritual men parted ways. It says in verse 39, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Now, Barnabas was from the land of Cyprus, the island, I'm sorry, the island of Cyprus. And he and Paul ministered there previously. On their first journey. So this made sense that they returned there. He's from there. This is a place. No big deal. He wanted to go back and check on his, his people, basically. Look in verse 40. Acts 15, verse 40 and 41. And this is how Paul responded. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. 
You know, this church fight was not pretty. When you get two main guys fighting, arguing, disagreeing, think about how it impacted everybody else. They're looking at them for spiritual leadership, and here they are. They can't even get along. They're arguing. They're fighting. Now, ideally, we would want to look at this and think, Paul, Barnabas, guys, just repent. Just say, I'm sorry. I love you. We don't always have to agree and move on. That would be ideal. But that's not how it always happens. Why? Because we are imperfect people. And even though we are imperfect, we still have to understand God has a plan. And is it more important for us to be right or for God's plan to be fulfilled? See, Paul and Barnabas did not disagree on what should be done. They both agreed, let's go back and strengthen the brothers. What they did disagree on is how it should be done. See, the mission itself was not an issue. Let's do this. This is right. But how we're going to do it, that's where they had issues. And this is what we got to understand. We have 400 plus people in the Bronx. You know what? That's 400 plus different ideas of how something should be done. Guys, we've got to understand we've got to have unity. We all want to accomplish the same thing, but we're not all going to think it should be accomplished the same way. And this is why it's so important for us to realize we are all imperfect people and we need each other. We could say simply this. Paul looked at the responsibilities of ministry while Barnabas looked at the people of ministry. See, they both wanted to accomplish the same goal. But Paul was thinking, okay, what are the responsibilities? You need to be responsible. You need to do this. You need to be faithful. He had a list of things. Barnabas was thinking more about, here's this young man that's broken. We need to restore him. We need to strengthen him. One was looking at the job to get done. One was looking at the people that it takes. You say, well, which one's right? Well, they both could be right, but that's not the issue. The issue is their conflict needed to be resolved so God's will could be done. Look in Genesis chapter 50, verse 19 and 20. Joseph says something that appeals not just at that time, but for us today. It says, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. You know, Joseph, his family didn't treat him right. I mean, they even wanted to kill him. But in the end result, he said, listen, what you did was wrong. But that's what you, an imperfect person, thought. But God had a bigger plan. A better plan. A plan that goes beyond what you think, what I think. And no, even though you try to do me harm... God uses it for good. So looking at Paul and Barnabas conflict that they had, two imperfect people, what good came about from this conflict? This is what I want to help us with here. What good came about? Several things. Number one, instead of one missionary team, there were two missionary teams to fulfill the Great Commission. See, they were just going to go together as one. Go to here, strengthen the church. But yet, because of this conflict, you have Barnabas and Mark, Paul and Silas. Now you get two missionary teams going two different directions, doing even more. 
See, no matter what conflict you may be in, God can bring about good in that conflict. See, it wasn't about, okay, let's just tear it all down and let's just destroy this. And this is not God's church anymore. And this is, you know what? That's really immature and unspiritual. It's still God's church. And if this is what you think, then sometimes we need to put our own plan together, get some advice and still go out and accomplish God's will. But see, sometimes when we get in conflict, we just shut down, do nothing, be lazy because we're frustrated. No, that's not how it should work. We can still accomplish God's will, even if things aren't exactly the way we think they should go. So instead of one missionary team, there was two missionary teams that occurred. Another thing that happened from this experience with Paul and Barnabas, Paul learned a lesson. Paul, the apostle Paul, he learned from this experience. Look in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 8. These are the words that Paul himself wrote. He said, love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envy. It is not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. The word angered is the same word used in the sharp disagreement between Barnabas and Paul. And what happened here? Paul learned a lesson from this experience because later on he's writing about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not easily angered. And you know, he's thinking back when he and Barnabas got into this big conflict and the church knew about it. They were easily angered. And he said, that's not loving. Paul learned from that experience and it changed him to be a different person, to handle things differently in the future. See, this is what we've got to do. We're going to have conflicts. We're going to have things that occur. But are we learning from these things? See, this is what I mean. You're not going to be perfect, but you need to progress. You need to learn from things that occur. Too many people are having the same old problems. You having pre-COVID arguments and not being able to get along with people. You're having COVID arguments, not able to get along with people. We're coming out of COVID. You're still arguing. Some people are still caught in this world of anger, of bitterness. That's not a Christian thing to do. You're not making progress when you're stuck with so much anger and conflict with people. Why? We've just seen millions of people infected, thousands of people dying, and we're arguing and complaining about stuff that just is not progressing the will of God. Guys, we've got to learn. We've got to learn from our experiences. When you have a conflict with somebody, you come out of that conflict a better person. Not angry, not bitter, not jealous. You need to come out of that with a different mindset of how can I be more like Jesus because of what I just went through? If that's not what's happening, you're not progressing to be more like Jesus. Conflict helps us to be more like Jesus if we learn from it. So Paul and Barnabas had this conflict and Paul learned from this. He said, you know what? I'm going to take Silas with me. Now, Silas was a good pick because he was a Roman citizen with Jewish roots. 
So for him to go where he went to was a perfect person for him to take. Fine. Fabulous. But apparently, Paul and Barnabas had reconciled their issues. Again, Paul learned from this experience with Barnabas. Look in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Paul gives props to Barnabas. It says, or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? See, in other words, Paul is saying, listen, we're working hard. We're doing what we can. I'm doing all I'm risking my life. Not only am I doing it, but so is Barnabas. Look at him. He's a great guy. This guy is risking his life. He's doing all he can. So he went from arguing in the sharp disagreement that made them part ways to now lifting up Barnabas as an example. He's saying, if you think I'm this good, look at how good Barnabas is. Barnabas is so incredible. The son of encouragement. This is an incredible guy. Paul learned from that experience that he had of conflict with Barnabas. Guys, you have conflict with somebody. If you're going to be a true Christian, a true follower of Jesus, you need to learn from that experience to the point that you can now lift them up, raise them up and put them above yourself. Is that not what Jesus talked about? That he saw others greater than himself. This is important for us to understand. We need to stop thinking we're the top dog. We need to lower our pride and exalt other people. Think of other people better than yourselves. Now, I don't want us to miss a key thing here. And this is something very important. Because some of us, we want to get along with everybody. We want to make everybody happy. We want to make sure we're not hurting anybody's feelings. But listen to this. Tune into this, please. Barnabas was willing to have conflict with Paul. In order to restore a fallen brother. I'm going to say it again because we got to listen. Barnabas was willing to have conflict. He says, I know this is how Paul feels, but I'm going to tell Paul how I feel because of this fallen brother. Mark needs help. And I'm going to confront and have conflict. It's not my nature. I love encouraging. I'm the son of encouragement. That's what I'm known for. But in this case, in order for me to encourage Mark, I got to have conflict with another brother. So he stood up for Mark, not just because he was his cousin, but because he was his brother in Christ. Guys, we have got to have conflict sometimes if we see somebody not being treated the right way. We've got to make a stand. The second key thing I want you to understand is that Paul, he had labeled Mark a quitter. He had labeled Mark done. In other words, he's saying he's not coming with me because he quit before. He's a quitter. He's done. I'm done with him. But Barnabas never gave up on him. Paul labeled him one thing, but Barnabas never gave up. He didn't give in to labels. He didn't give in to what somebody else thought about somebody. He said, I was there. I saw the same thing you saw. He left me just like he left you. But you know what? I'm not going to give up on him. See, the only label he put on Mark was this. Barnabas said, you matter to God, so you matter to me. We know from scripture that because Barnabas poured courage into Mark, Mark later became a very important and contributing part of this team. 
Why? Because Barnabas believed in him. And this is so encouraging to us because it reminds us that, you know what? Even though we're going to mess up, we're going to fail, we're going to sin, it's a process. And failure does not mean we no longer belong to God. So failure means sometimes we need somebody to correct us and believe in us. And we can get back up into the battle. Mark was restored, faithful, strong, contributing part of this spiritual team. See, God is not finished with you just because you messed up. I know you've messed up this, this COVID era. I've messed up. We've all messed up. Some people have left God for relationships. Some people have left God because they're mad and angry. Some people have left God because they feel like their needs aren't being met. The, the people forgot about them during COVID. People have all kinds of things going on. But let me tell you this. Everybody's going through something. You are not the only one. What we need to do is start encouraging and building each other up. That's what we need to start doing right now. Some of us need to get back into the battle. You need to get back into your Bible. Get back into prayer. Get on the phone. Talk to some people. Stop missing worship services. Get on the Zoom. Turn the camera on so people can see your face. We got to make sure we're getting back into the battle and not just sitting off feeling sorry for ourselves. If you matter to God, you matter to me. If you matter to God, you matter to every single Christian in this church. That's what it's about. Look at Philippians chapter one, verse six. And see, the good news is that God is not finished with us. It says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And listen to how God changed Paul's heart. Paul is saying, listen, God isn't done with us. He changed Mark. He can change any of us. Colossians 4.10. Let's read this again. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. This is Paul writing this 15 years later, what he says about Mark. He says, listen, if Mark gives you instructions, follow him. Listen to him. This guy knows what he's talking about. And now look aboard to show that he is fully restored back into a relationship with Mark. Look at what it says in 1 Peter 5, verse 13. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son Mark. Three years later, when imprisoned for the last time in Rome, Paul wanted Mark by his side. Second Timothy four, verse nine through 11 says, do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Christians have gone to Galatia and Titus to Damascus. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. Because he is helpful to me in my ministry. You know what? Ironically, he only mentions three guys. He talks about Luke, he talks about Timothy, and he says, go get Mark. He talks about this because it went from Mark being labeled a quitter to, you know what? I need this guy. I need him in my ministry. I need him to help me. I'm in my last days. Please go get Mark. This shows you a whole different heart. In Paul, from one that says he's a quitter, he's not coming with me to 
I need him. I love him. He is my brother. This is what God says can happen even with imperfect people. He can use conflict to help accomplish his perfect will. Two missionary teams. A brother's restored. A brother's now an important part of the ministry. And now he's here to help one of the greatest men after Jesus, the Apostle Paul. He said, I need him. God did an incredible thing, even with this conflict between two imperfect people. Now, the second point is this. God leads as we correct and disciple each other. God leads us. He helps us. Even though we're imperfect, he leads us and helps us as we intentionally, purposefully disciple, correct, train one another. Look in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. It says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lister. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. See, Lystra was where Paul was nearly stoned to death in an earlier uh, uh, missionary journey. So to go back there was like, ooh, what's going on here? But I want to point out key things with Timothy, four key things with Timothy that inspired Paul to say what he just said here. The first one is this. Timothy was a strong believer. He was referred to as a disciple. Now, it didn't say he's a Christian, because that's the kind of words we use today. Oh, they're Christians. Oh, they're Christians. It says he was a strong disciple. What's a disciple? An imitator of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, not just a churchgoer, not a religious person, but a disciple. That means when things don't go the way he thinks, he takes it back to the scriptures and let the scriptures determine how he's going to handle it. That's a disciple. Somebody that allows the Bible to change their life, to guide their life. He was a strong disciple. Secondly, he had a good reputation. Timothy had a good reputation. He was well spoken of inside the church, outside the church. See, as Christians, we need to be well spoken of. Not because of the label Christian, but because we are a disciple. See, a disciple and Christian really is the same thing if you are following Jesus. But see, the world talks more about Christian than disciple because that's just the label. If they're the same thing, you're living it out. So people outside of your house and inside your house see the reflection of Jesus. Third thing about Timothy, he was available. He was available. It says in Philippians 2.20, Paul says, for I have no one like him who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. He says, I need something. Timothy's there. He can get the job done. He's available. He's not always so busy he can't do something. Fourthly, he was willing to do whatever it took to build bridges. This is what it is. He was willing to do whatever it took to build bridges. See, some were criticizing Paul for having Timothy circumcised. But Timothy said, you know what? If I'm circumcised, then I'm able to help convert more people, to help convert more believers. I'll do whatever it takes to save souls. 
See, sometimes people live to build walls, but when you break down a wall, it becomes a bridge. That way you can now help other people instead of just making it about isolating self. COVID-19 has caused some people to build walls, to no longer be a social, no longer try to be isolated and think about themselves. Instead of taking that wall and knocking it down, and now it's a bridge for people to be able to come across and work together. That's what needs to happen in a Christian's life, a true disciple's life. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. This is the heart that Paul is stressing, not just for Timothy, but for you and me to have. To do whatever it takes to win as many as possible. Look in 2 Timothy 1 verse 5. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and then your mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. You know, Paul is saying in the family tree that you have, Timothy. I saw that faith in your grandmother. I saw that faith in your mother. And you know what? They discipled it all the way down to you. Your grandmother discipled, corrected your mother, helped her. Your mother discipled, corrected you, helped you. When there is an intentional discipling and correcting, God works in incredible ways. Even in imperfect people, God can accomplish his perfect will. And this is what it says. The word lived in means to inhabit, to take up residence, to be at home with. And so one Greek expert translates it this way, to house in you continually. Faith didn't just make an appearance in Timothy. It didn't just make an appearance in his mother. It lived there. It took up a residency. It was a part of who they were. That was a faithful household. We can pass on faith if we do it by correcting and training, not just our family members, but the people in our Bible talks, in our small groups, in our neighbor. I mean, we can do this. You say, well, my, my neighborhood, how can I disciple people in my neighborhood? You don't have to say I'm discipling you. No, just share. Just share your wisdom. We don't have to make things religious. Let's just be who we are. That's just who you naturally are. You see something? Hey, you know what? Let me share something with you. This is a better way. We just need to have these kind of normal conversations when we're with our family. We don't always have to tell our kids, hey, I'm going to disciple you right now. Sit down. No, it's just a training that we do. It's a conversation that we do. It should be normal. But guys, this is what Paul saw in Timothy. He saw it in his grandmother and his mother. And he says, I am now persuaded lives in you. In other words, Timothy, it takes up residency in you. It's just who you are. This is a part of you. 
It is so important that we continue to disciple each other. We cannot wait. No, I don't have a disciple partner. Nobody's calling me. Nobody's telling me. Guys, it's up to you sometimes to go after it. We can't sit and expect everybody to take care of us. We have to do our job as a disciple and be responsible. So we need to do this. Look at Acts chapter 16, verse 5. This shows that when deliberate discipling is being done, there is a response to it. Acts 16, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. See, aren't you glad that God can take imperfect people and do and accomplish his perfect will? That's what he does. He does it. Sometimes we have conflict, but yet if we learn from that conflict, God's will will be accomplished. Sometimes God helps us through that conflict because that's the only way we're going to learn from it. Some of us are hard headed. Don't act like everybody's just perfect. You're not. We already talked about that. Some of us need conflict to wake us up. But yet, as long as you are a true disciple, you will learn from that conflict and you will grow from that conflict. Now, at the same time, some of us just need ongoing discipling, correcting. We have to go after it. It comes after us. It's a two way street. But we can't just sit and say, I don't have a discipler for the fourth year in a row. Well, that's your fault. At this point, you got to do something about it if you want to make progress. If you don't want to progress, you just want to stay the same. You want to be lukewarm. Then don't do nothing. But if you are looking to progress and be more like Jesus, go after it. And the third and final thing I want to talk about today is this. God leads when we are committed to following him. God leads us, even though we're imperfect, when we are committed to following him. Acts 16, verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Listen. The missionary team didn't just sit there. Paul didn't just sit there and say, hey, we're a mission team. Let's just hang out and talk about the good old days. That's not what he did. A missionary team actually does stuff. That's a very good principle for us to understand. See, God's will wants us to start doing something. God will open and close doors, but it's up to us to go through them. It's important for you. If God opens the door, you got to go through it. If you get up to the door and it's closed, then you move and go some other direction. God will open and close doors, but you won't know if you're sitting there on the couch. You have to get up and do something before you can know that God is opening or closing the door. Sometimes we just say, oh, God, please show me the light. Oh, God, please open the door. You don't know if he did or didn't. If you're just sitting there, you got to do something. They traveled to the east. They tried to go one way and the Holy Spirit said, nope, that is not how it's going to happen. So they didn't do it. They hit, okay, let's go a different way. 
They try to go another way. It is important for us to do something. Again, Acts 16, look in verse 8. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called for us to preach the gospel to them. Here's the thing. They didn't want to go east. They didn't want to go back home. They said, we got to go somewhere. How long did it take? It said, at once. They didn't just sit there. They did something at once, immediately. Now, they reached, they reached these regions. And look in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. To God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. You know, God's timing may often be a mystery to us, but it will always be perfect. God is good. He's going to do what he does. Won't he do it? And this is an important thing for us to understand. We can't just sit and wait. Sometimes we got to get up and walk towards the door. You know, the old saying always says, God can't steer a parked car. So many times we say, Jesus, take the wheel. But he can't steer a parked car. If you're just sitting there, what good is it for Jesus to take the wheel if you're not even trying to go anywhere? It is important for us to do something. We cannot just sit and just wait on Jesus to come back. It's time for us to still be active. Sometimes we got to be like Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham, when God called to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. You know, sometimes we're going to be called to do some things and you may not have the full plan. But if it's God's plan, then let's just work it. Here's a trustworthy saying. If you say you must know everything before you'll go anywhere, you'll end up going nowhere and doing nothing. That's what happens so many times. Guys, we don't want to be people of talk. We need to make some things happen. One preacher said this. Sometimes people don't serve the Lord because they never experience a dramatic call to ministry. But this Macedonian call did not come to people who were doing nothing. It came to men who were actively serving the Lord. It was not a call to begin serving the Lord or to become a missionary, but rather a clarification of direction in an existing ministry. Start doing something to serve Jesus Christ and he will redirect you if he needs to. See, the focus isn't God push me, get me going. No, we need to get going. God will steer you the direction you need to go. Now, let me summarize this up as we close out here. Number one, God leads through conflict of imperfect people. We're going to have conflict. We're going to have disagreements. But we can still learn from each other. We can still stay unified. We can experience what God wants us to so that later on his will is still being accomplished because we are disciples that change and follow God's will. There's going to be conflict. But guys, sometimes us hard-head people need conflict in order for us to see God's plan. Number two, God leads and corrects when we deliberately disciple each other. You know what? 
The gift that keeps on giving in many people's lives is dysfunction. But guys, as disciples, as Christians, we need to give the spiritual gifts instead of the gift of dysfunctionality. The spiritual gifts, the spiritual guidance, the spiritual wisdom. This is what we need to pass on. Not dysfunction, spirituality. Number three, God leads when we're committed to following him. Guys, we got to just get up and start doing some stuff. And when we start, then God will lead you. God can't lead you if you're not going anywhere, if you're not even trying. If we're just thinking about us and how we're feeling and what's going on with us, we're not going to be led. But if we start thinking about others, how can I give? How can I serve? God will then lead you and correct you the way you need to go. So let's make this practical. Four quick practical points as we close out before we take our bread and cup. Number one, you need to reconcile any relationship that you have. If it's a broken relationship, just some kind of tension, anything at all. If it's not a unified relationship, think about it now. Is there anybody that you are so upset with, you're glad we're not meeting in person because you don't want to see them at church? There's a problem. You need to reconcile that. We cannot call ourselves disciples if we have that kind of attitude, anger, and bitterness in us. Disciples are imperfect. We are, but we need to make progress to get better. So I'm challenging you. If there's anybody that you are not reconciled with, at peace with, deal with it this week. Don't say, I'm going to wait till Wednesday. No, deal with it this week, quickly, today. It says at once they got up and went and did what they had to do. Deal with it. Number two is that this reach out to somebody who you feel is sidelined. In other words, you remember Mark, uh, Paul had wrote him off. Mark was done. But Barnabas said, no, he's not. I'm going to bring him back. You need to be a Barnabas to somebody. There's somebody that feels sidelined. Maybe they left the church. Maybe they're just in so much sin. They don't want to keep going. They're embarrassed. Whatever it may be, you become a Barnabas for somebody. Get them off the sidelines. Get them back into the game. This is what a call for you is. Thirdly, get involved in serving. There's some kind of way you can serve. Again, if you say, I don't know, then make some phone calls. What can I do to help? That's one thing you can do. If nothing else, you can make a phone call and ask, what can I do to help? Ask your Bible talk leader. Ask your family group leader. Call up the Kings. Call, up, call me up. Call, what can I do to help? Just make an effort. And fourthly and finally, help the lost. There's a lot of lost people out there. This is why Jesus died on the cross, to save the lost people. Not just so you can become a Christian, but that you can become a Christian and grow as a Christian and help other people become a Christian. See, we're not just here to convert. We're here to convert and help enrich people to be productive reproducing disciples of Jesus. Guys, I love you. I hope this lesson has helped you. None of us are perfect, but we need to make progress to get to the other side. I'm going to pray for the bread and the cup. After that, we'll have communion together and then we'll continue with our closing words and a closing song. Thank you again for this time. And remember, it's not about perfection, but it's about progress. Let's go to God in prayer. Almighty God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you for waking us up to another day. We know that there are some people who don't have this opportunity that we have. Not just to live another day, but to even be able to watch worship, to be together as a family, 
God, I pray that you help us do all we can to live a life pleasing to you. Father, I pray for the bread and the cup that you help us. This is a remembrance of what Jesus went through for us, not just to feel guilty, but for us to be inspired and thankful that Jesus loves us so much that he will go to the cross and die for us. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. In Jesus name. Amen.